This is Restless. Welcome back, everybody, to your favorite podcast, the Restless Podcast, where we are breaking down all things Young Restless and Reformed. This is Pastor Michael, and I am joined, as always, by Matt, who is the host. Uh, The host. So, Matt, do you want to explain what we're doing today? Yeah, well, I, I I would like to say that today we are only welcoming people who this is their favorite podcast. Everyone else, I guess you can hang on, but... Um, please don't leave. <laughs> please, please don't leave if this is not your favorite podcast. It's okay. <laughs> because, especially today, because we are going to um, include the second half of our interview with Stephen Wolf. And I think if you enjoyed the first half, or even if you were maybe even a little angry about the the first half, depending on your, your political bent. I think this second part of this interview is really important for people who are Reformed Christians. Do you think so, Michael? Yeah, I think just trying to understand um, the, the place that most Christian political discourse has gotten is really shallow. And I think to try to base it in a deeper understanding of how God has ordered the world and the church and how he's ordered these things to interact together, uh, to have a a basic understanding of that is is super important. So I I think this is going to be really beneficial for you. And I think that is one of the things he does best is an, an explication of the kind of first principles, these higher level things that aren't, um, just hot takes about the most recent news story, which is kind of all we get in other places. And so the rest of this interview, which is actually the thing I was most excited to talk to him about, is regarding reformed two kingdoms theology, which I think whether or not you want to agree with it in the end, it's essential for you to understand if you're going to read any classic reformed theology. Well, this brings actually maybe even the main reason I wanted to actually get to talk to you is because on your podcast uh, that both Michael and I would highly recommend, Ars Politica, um, I don't know, a while back you guys did an episode on two kingdoms theology um, in that you kind of described it as the, the classical Protestant, classical Reformed perspective on these things. And I thought um, it was very helpful, especially if someone had maybe misunderstandings about what that might be. And it sounds like even what you've already just said with your own political philosophy, that that is uh, in some ways reflecting on two kingdoms theology. Can you, maybe you can't easily, but can you easily give our listeners a definition or an explanation of two kingdoms of yeah, the two I'll, kingdoms? I'll, I'll try. This is, this is difficult. And, and there are, political theologians out there do this better than me. But uh, I think that the first thing to say, when people are uncomfortable with two kingdoms theology, I, I think I, I'm very confident that two kingdoms theology is the most common political theology within the reformed tradition before the 20, 20th century theology is really kind of weird. Um, but, but before the 20th century, it, it was, it was the most common. It wasn't always called two kingdoms. Uh, in fact, I, I don't know if I've ever read anyone prior to very recently call it two kingdoms, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, there are people do recognize two kingdoms. And so there's, and there's disagreements today, of course, but, but going all the way back to 
disagreements between Samuel Rutherford and, and Richard Hooker uh, and, and the other people he called Erastian um, on the nature of the two kingdoms. But the two kingdom idea is that you have kind of on one side, you have a kind of a temporal, the temporal realm. You have the temporal realm and, and that concerns, sometimes it's called the, 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 um, the preserving, like the, the God's preservation uh, where, where he seeks to, where, well, I should back up and say just, it, it's a temporal realm in the sense that it's the earthly realm. It's the outward. It's uh, you could think it's a, it's a civil realm. It's the, it's a place where civil magistrates and government act upon people uh, and, or you could say coerce or, or set laws and rules for societies. It's actually a very human uh, and, and, and natural realm. So it follows natural law. Or you could just say if people are uncomfortable with natural law, which they shouldn't be, but if they, if they are uncomfortable, it's just the realm of what it means to be human. So human, you, you'd agree, people would agree that, that humanity is under a sort of moral duty. And that moral duty is kind of, that is the realm of uh, the kind of the temporal or the, the, you could say common or the outward kingdom. Uh, and and, and the, the powers within that outward kingdom uh, are mainly located within civil government you could say also, I'd say in the family as well, there, there's power within the family, but, but this is the power to act upon the body. Usually they say the body, uh, or what they really mean is just, they can tell you to go do things that involve earthly goods and organize organization of society. Uh, you, your parents can tell you to do this by natural authority. The civil magistrate can tell you to do this by a sort of natural derived authority. Um, and that concerns uh, the body. Um, Again, governed by natural law. The other kingdom, you could think of it as the kind of the kingdom of grace. You could think that it's often called a kind of the invisible kingdom, uh, or it's just the kingdom of the church, is kingdom of Christ, and it is it is the church. Um, and in some sense, no matter no matter who you are or what you believe in two kingdoms, uh, this would the, the essential aspect of the kingdom of grace or the spiritual kingdom of Christ. Is going to be Christ ruling the hearts, uh, ruling his his the elect, um, particularly the elect on on earth, um, and that constitutes the essence of the church. And so that's a very immediate arrangement, where you where uh, Christ is directly your king. There's no earthly mediator. Pastors are ministerial. That means they minister the gospel. They preach the gospel. They don't they're not mediators in the strict sense of grace. Um, they, they don't have they can't unleash power um, by their own act of, you know, a civil magistrate can say, go do this. And you say, yes, sir. Um, but the, uh, because they could coerce you to do it. There's no coercion within the church. It's basically the principle is, is persuasion and scripture. You expound scripture, persuade people. Um, and so it's ministerial instead of magisterial. And so that, that kingdom is, is, is very much a kingdom of, of grace. It's Christ rules you uh, rules his church. Uh, you can say uh, in, in conscience and the heart. Um, and then there's the, the church and the disagreement between two kingdoms usually located about what relationship the institutional church has with the kingdom of Christ or that, you know, the, that other kingdom. Um, but, but those are the kind of the two, I, I hope that's somewhat clear yeah. uh, between the two. What well, one is, one would be kind of governed by, you could say governed by scripture. That is the institutional church is governed by scripture. It's the redemptive kingdom uh, where, where you are uh, restored in righteousness, reconciled to God. Um, and you, you are administered grace through word sacrament. 
The other one is the administration of law and civil justice and uh, kind of outward order. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. There's more I could say, but uh, if you have any more questions on that. This idea of these two kingdoms, this is what is meant um, in kind of classical reform theology, right? When they say the church is the kingdom of God, right? Is that this, is that, is, is that coming from this, this idea? Yes. Now it, this of course depends on what you mean by the church. So the sure. church can be taken as an invisible church. It can be taken as the visible church on earth, but not, not instituted. And you can think of the instituted church. So uh, someone like Rutherford would say that, that pretty much all three is the king is kind of the spiritual kingdom of Christ. And I think Calvin would say that as well. I, I know some people don't agree with that, but um, and then someone like Richard Hooker, kind of the, within the Anglican tradition, would would want to distinguish, would say that really the, the church of Christ is really only the, or I don't know if they'd say only, but um, is principally just the, the uh, is just uh, Christians, Christians uh, redeemed in heart and uh, before God. And, and, they, and they say that so that uh, the, the church, the institutional church, or you could say that like the, the ecclesiastical society, is then outward. And so now the Christian king can then implement ceremonies and regulate the church and has jurisdiction over the outward elements of the church. Um, where someone like Rutherford and, uh, and kind of the Presbyterian slash Congregationalist and, 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 and Baptists and others would, would want to say that no, the, the actual institutional church is also part of this kingdom of Christ and, and therefore that Christ ministers, namely pastors, would have this sort of jurisdiction of sorts, and and then of, and then the only thing that's allowed in the in the church is what's been prescribed um, uh, by by Christ. And there's you know all sorts of distinctions in, in there. But if I could just get to some of the practical matters of yeah. why this is important, one thing it does is it actually it allows you to make a lot of distinctions. But uh, and I don't want to. I don't want to emphasize too much on separation, but there is a sort of separation between these two. Calvin explicitly says in institutes that when you think of one kingdom, you shouldn't think of the other. And, and this is, this is important because it, it keeps the gospel and in some sense out of, out of politics. Now, I know it, what I mean is that with, within the, the common, within the external, within the civil kingdom, there's already a standard of righteousness. There's already justice. There's already these, uh, and it's based upon nature. It's based upon what, what is what is a human being? How do we organize? What is what is best for our you know, say flourishing? I already read using that word um, <laughs> within within this within you know civil community. And all of this has already been provided by the the moral law or the, the natural law, and then uh, and then uh, also. Since uh, stated in scripture as well, and so it's already there. What, what what means then is that when we when we ask ourselves how do we organize, how do, what is justice, how do men and women relate, all these questions of relationships and justice is is something that is very much human and natural. And you and in some and and if you if you ref, if you had perfect reason, you could reflect upon your own nature and then make these proper determinations and applications of natural law principles. Of course, we don't do that well, but that's why scripture also provides, uh, in some senses, like a, it's a revelation of the same thing in substance that we can um, tap into or use for those purposes. But that, that, that means that the gospel did not bring new political principles. It did not undermine, destroy, 
supersede, replace um, natural law. Grace does not destroy nature. Um, and that, that's a, that principle, grace does not destroy nature, is really uh, that is a basic fa foundational principle for all of two kingdom theology. So uh, what this means then is all sorts of things. But one is that, is that, that we can, that, that the fall did not completely obliterate uh, our ability to think rationally and to kind of understand our interests. And so you can actually, this is why so many people would say uh, the philosopher, they meant Aristotle talking on politics. Um, and they, they would, I, I was reading, trying to read some of these old like Latin texts from uh, early 70th century uh, reformed, reformed um, kind of political theorists. And they would cite, they would, they would cite like Aristotle, Plato, uh, Cicero, um, they'd cite these guys repeatedly. Really, they'd cite them more than, than scripture. I, I mean, that would make people uncomfortable nowadays in other periods as well. But, but, and, but that's because nature is, is the foundation of civil order and civil justice. And if nature is not obliterated, then we'll, then we can take stuff from non-Christians. Um, particularly those we can respect and stood the test of time uh, and, and found useful throughout, you know, uh, the ages. Um, and, and so, and so that, that what this means then is what does grace do? Well, grace principally is what brings you into eternal life. It restores eternal life. It sets you, uh, it, Christ um, fulfilled uh, the, the demands uh, of the law for, for eternal life. And this, but this doesn't mean that the gospel then had to, had to carry this huge package of politics that suddenly Sermon on the Mount is now our political texts, our chief political texts, or somehow now the Sermon on the Mount is implementing entirely new, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, duties or moral duties of, of grace that were never heard of within or they're not part of the natural law. Um, so you can have these, these important distinctions. Now what this means then to get practically, I'm keep talking rambling here, but, but uh, what this means is that there is still a natural hierarchy. The gospel does not destroy, does not uh, equalize, let's say the sexes. Let's just be blunt about it. Yeah. The gospel does not mean that um, it, it does not, uh, it does not inaugurate, gender egalitarianism. It doesn't inaugurate uh, democracy necessarily. It, it doesn't inaugurate equality or in what, what Thomas and I on a podcast calls an egalitarian principle. It doesn't bring something new in. And so when you think about how we should be as a society, you don't think of, well, what does heavenly life look like? And think, oh, let's bring heavenly life to earth. Um, because that's, that's a, a, a failure to distinguish the two kingdoms. Um, and every time that that is tried to be implemented, it only ends in, you know, death and suffering and chaos. And, you know, anytime that utopian, like heavenly vision, Hey, let's bring yeah. that now. Hey, we can do it right now. What happens? It does not go well. And also this is, so if people are thinking, well, I kind of like equality yeah. um, in some ways two kingdom theology and one very important way to kingdom theology uh, ensures a sort of equality, or you could say almost an ideal that you might want to see today. Uh, and that ideal would be that, well, if, if you are born into, in this kind of low position society, you're, you're uneducated, uh, you may not even have any natural skills that would make you great in the public political world. Uh, you're, you're not going to be very high in the hierarchy of the natural order. Okay, um, within the human order, 
And, and we would all say there's nothing wrong with that. You still have equal dignity, all that sort of thing. Made in the image of God. Um, but, but, but then, but then if we say, well, the gospel brings equality, well, somehow that person is now our project to make like the, the king of, uh, or, or to make them, uh, you know, equal with us. But anyway, if you get rid of that, um, what that means is, is that this person who's a, let's say is a Christian is also belongs to not only the civil kingdom, but also the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. And that follows different principles. So you can be a great king in one, even a great Christian king in the civil kingdom, but still be second place or below that uneducated, lowly, whatever, no name, who is the most pious person in the world. Right. And so what this means then is, but if you, if you collapse the two, you lose that distinction. And, and like you said, Michael, that kind of mess, it, 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 uh, it, it, it confounds them so bad that I, I, I honestly, it's just utterly incoherent. It, it leads to absurdity. But if you, if you separate the two or, you, you know, if you distinguish the two, that means again, this lowly no, no name can then be first in the kingdom of God or high or whatever. Uh, and that's yeah. because there's two kingdoms and, and you keep them uh, in a sense separate. And I think, I think the two ways this is, yeah, is very biblically important is, is on the one. Yeah. It's exactly what you're saying is that, what the what the gospel does when it when what if we want to call it this equality, it's that right in in most uh, non-Western egalitarian cultures, the fact that I have a social status is was often used and is around the world used to imply I have a certain standing before God, right? Like the fact that I exist somewhere in the civil sphere means right? You know, obviously in Egypt, I'm closer to deity, right? And these kinds of things. And right, the gospel says that, no, all people are, you can be, you know, mediated to God just through Christ, everyone on that level. But it doesn't, it doesn't eliminate the social order. And I think one area, if a, if a person's wondering, do we see that in scripture? Paul in the back half of most of his letters seems to be laboring to show that the gospel that he's just expounded in the first half of Ephesians does not eliminate the social order of marriage, family, even slaves and masters. Now, as you said, it restores them to a right order, right? If there were corruptions brought in by sin, if there were, uh, you know, if there were cultural, you know, problems with these things, it, it restores them. But it doesn't, he seems to often be laboring to say he's not trying to upend all of societal order. Yeah. And, and uh, even during, during the Reformation, that was an accusation hurled at, um, at the reformers that they're trying to kind of upend. Uh, and, that, and that was in part because there, there was this, um, like, just take the idea of Christian freedom of if, if somehow you, you are now uh, taken up into heavenly places and you're granted full eternal life and somehow, well, you're free from, you're, you're entirely free, but, uh, and, and free from, in some sense, free from the earth and free. And so there was this concern over, and there's other, uh, other reasons too, they were concerned about civil order, but two kingdoms, yeah, what it, what it did, what it allowed them to do. I mean, I, I don't think it's just, it wasn't just practical. I think it actually flows from all of classical Protestant theology, but still the way it was useful is to say that, that no, I mean, we still have to order society according to these temporal principles. Yes. 
the family, for example, is temporal. I mean, it's a th where uh, be being married and having children is a temporal thing. Uh, we tend to forget that when we when we talk about how how the church should be in kind of a realm of heaven. Well, that means somehow you walk through the doors of the church and you're no longer married. Those aren't your kids. <laughs> we don't have this authority. Um, we talk like this, and it's just very imprecise. Uh, and there's all sorts of problems there. Um, but, but this allows that maintains authority, the natural authorities that were, that was implemented from creation uh, and, and allows there to be civil order uh, based upon those that, that actually conform to your own nature. I mean, you still are an earthbound being and, 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 and the, the principles of natural law are suitable for you. They're good for you. You follow them and they are for your good and the good of your neighbor. Uh, but if you say I'm free from that or no, there's a bunch of new things here that, that uh, ends up clashing with, with who you are as a human being right. and yeah, cause all sorts of problems. And you saw this with Anabaptists in, in 16th century who went nuts. Not all of them did, but uh, enough of them did to, to why did, why were they persecuted? Oftentimes because they really wanted to destroy the civil order they they would um yeah so and 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 that was part of of their theology yeah so let me go on a different route and i we don't even have to leave this in but uh just as we're talking where my brain is going is i'm, I'm just trying to connect a bunch of dots right so to tie this into you know kind of uh, the new calvinism and uh you know the conversation we had about new calvinists and their interaction with politics today but I'm also thinking about how there's something so uh, central here about your understanding of the sacraments and, you know, whether or not, you know, uh, the physical elements of the sacrament uh, take on the physical uh, reality of Christ's body versus uh, having something where like the physical basically doesn't like it, it doesn't really matter. Um, this is just something I'm doing or saying uh, it's kind of like, it doesn't necessarily hold meaning in itself, except that this is just what Christ chose to use uh, or a more reformed view of like Christ is spiritually present in the sacrament um, in the sacraments, but it's like the, the reality that the, whether we're talking about, you know, I'm thinking especially the Lord's Supper, but, you know, you could bring baptism here too. Like the, the reality that it, that it uh, proclaims and speaks to is it is not directly connected in every way to the physical element in such a way that just getting wet or just taking the bread all of a sudden has some virtue in itself. Uh, so it, it is not made efficacious by the element itself, but... Uh, the, the spiritual reality and the spiritual presence of Christ, for instance, in the supper um, is tied to it. But it's like, I'm just wondering if like having this view, like this seems to me to fit well within it, you know, having an understanding of, of uh, the two kingdoms of having kind of the, the realm of the spirit, the realm of nature, and they are not completely separated. They are joined together. Um, but at the same time, they're not like, they're not collapsed into one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I haven't thought of that before with uh, the, the sacraments. I, 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 I think I, um, I, I'm a, I'm a political theorist and not a political theologian. I just play, <laughs> I just play political, political theologian on, on blogs and, and Twitter, but, um, but then we get into uh, the, the sacraments. I get nervous, but I, I yeah. But, but, 
I think that that is interesting because the one reason why two kingdom theology, two kingdom theology is just one, one way it's distinguished from say Roman Catholics is Roman Catholics tend to say, I mean, th their doctrine of what the kingdom is, is kind of fuzzy, but, but, um, but that the, the, the actual institutional outward church, the, and, and all its glories, all its great, you know, the, uh, all, all its outward uh, kind of pomp and, 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 and all the that smells sort of and the bells. And, yeah. yeah. All of that is the, is kind of Christ on, on earth, uh, the institution mm -hmm. itself. Right. And so, I mean, Protestants would say that Christ is in a sense honored with the, the, the people of God. And I'd say essentially with the people and not the institution, but Catholics kind of flip that. Um, and, but it's very kind of outward. Uh, and, and what that has led them because the, the church is this outward thing, essentially outward, uh, that, that is what led them to have all sorts of claims of being able to wield the, the, the civil sword, um, be able to Pope's leading armies, to, to have land, to, to own, not own land, I say have legitimate kind of almost spiritual jurisdiction over its own land uh, and, uh, and also be international institutionally. So, uh, you know, you, you can, more than that, it is also as a higher spiritual authority, but also physical and visible and outward, uh, they can resolve authoritatively, the Pope can resolve disputes. So you'd have mm -hmm a dispute in Scotland or something like that. And they would ask the Pope, what now what resolve this Pope? Yes. And the Pope would of course have his own political, but yeah, I, so if you, this again, two King, what it does is it, it makes it so that the jurisdiction of the church is very clear. Uh, and it, it's, it, it doesn't, I mean, there's no really jurisdiction over the soul. That's probably a ba bad way to put it, but that it's, that's its object. That's the object of its ministry. And it's it's a spiritual ministry. It's ministerial, um, and it doesn't have the power of the, of the of the civil sword uh, to really even to defend itself. I mean, as an institution, of course, people as people can defend themselves, but as an institution itself, it can't fund armies to defend itself. That's the job of the civil uh, magistrate, which has exclusive. Uh, authority over kind of the body or the, or the outward things. Um, and, and that's the, the good, good the, the distinction. And, and that's part of the reason what, I mean, the, all sorts of things. Calvin would push back and say all your ridiculous, you know, smells and bells. He didn't say that, right. but, but <laughs> all of that is because and he, you see this in his commentaries. Uh, he says it so many times that really the church is not something outwardly beautiful. It's, it's actually more, it's a spiritual inward uh, beauty um, and it will become glorious visibly, but not yet. Um, it already is in a spiritual and visible sense, but it will become outward, not yet. Yeah. Um, whereas, uh, and, and that, that then secured again, the distinction between two kingdoms. Um, I, yeah, go ahead. I think, I think there are maybe two, just a, a couple of misunderstandings people have that, uh, two kingdoms seems to cut against, you know, some kind of core Christian, things that if someone's going, I don't know, let me just kind of, yeah, put these out here. And um, if you're uncomfortable, I always just defer to the ordained pastor, Stephen. If you want to, if you want someone to talk about sacraments, you just make Michael, we can make Michael do any of those things. But <laughs> I think one of the, the things people go is, uh, is it, it kind of sounds like you're saying Christ only rules in the church does, but you're not saying Christ rules any the the world more or less maybe differently would be a better way to put that 
yeah, this gets into, into some disputes, but I'll just say yeah. generally that uh, that Christ rules over, you could say both kingdoms, but but through different different means. So you can think of kingdom really as rules or as as kind of a ruler uh, and or sort of reign like a, and. Uh, the it, they're really what distinguishes them. She just said this earlier was just the the means by which uh, God reigns over both, hmm. and and the for the spiritual kingdom it's just it's just immediate reign, um, unmediated uh, reign between Christ and His people, and that's a kingdom of grace again. And these people are the elect, and they're they're you know bound for to fully realize eternal life. Um, whereas civil magistrates, or you can think of the government uh, is actually a sort of vicar. I know this makes sounds weird, but it's, it's a sort of vicar of Christ, or, or you could say it's a, it's, it's a, uh, their rule, uh, or you say they mediate, they mediate God's rule on earth. So mediating, meaning they can actually implement law and enforce that law. Romans 13, right? I mean, they're right. the, the civil magistrate is a deacon of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And so and so they they can and by I emphasize mediated, meaning that it is the power is derived from 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 God. And some people would say, like some people say that that uh that it's Christ as son of God and and but not as but not as mediator. And but he's only Christ as mediator in the church, and people raise all sorts of you know Trinitarian heresy or you know or um, Christological right. heresies from that. But uh, you won't get to that. But yeah, so mediated meaning again that they it's mediated. They they actually can make decisions and implement these laws and enforce it by their own power. Whereas you, as church ministers, Michael, sorry, you can't uh, you can't say believe and and somehow confer grace and that works. Right. Not that I don't think you'd want to do that. That would make you a, uh, but um, I mean, anyway, but, uh, but that's a, just, that's a di distinction. Usually it's called difference between a magisterium and a, mini and a ministerium. Yeah. Um, hence uh, the magisterium is not inherent to the church as a Roman Catholic as Roman Catholics would say, it's actually more of a civil uh, function. I, Christ has mag magisterial authority alone over the church. So, uh, so obviously we live in a time where people are uncomfortable, even with this idea of natural law, but you kind of mentioned this idea of scripture, you know, governing in the church. Shouldn't we want all of life, all, all areas of, of life in the world governed by scripture? Is, is that, um, that might be another thing a person might be um, objecting okay. to. Yeah. Uh, now, wh what I'm what I'm about to say, I think, is is almost is just all universal in the form tradition. Uh, though again, it's just disagreements that I've found. But that is that the natural law and the moral law of Scripture is the same in substance. They are though delivered by two different modes. One is by reason, and the one is immediate. Or you get, yeah. And, and the way to understand this is that the, the, by reason, meaning that reflecting upon you or reflecting upon your nature <clears throat> in the world would allow you to uh, discover and apply more natural moral principles. So it's, it's you could say it's kind of mediated through you, through your own reason. Whereas in Scripture, the same thing is said, but it's said based upon the tr trustworthiness of the the author or by God. Um, 
and meaning that you can, if you may not be able to reason why you should obey your parents, but because God said, obey your parents, you, you know, by the authority itself, that that is something you ought to do. Um, and a lot of these things, I mean, obey authority of your parents is in Aristotle everywhere. So a lot of these things were actually stated, uh, or a lot of the, a lot of the natural law was affirmed throughout the age and reformed theologians oftentimes said, look, these guys got a lot of things right. Um, mm -hmm. Even sometimes in theology, but they did terrible now, generally speaking, the pagans. But but in, in terms of actual civil duty, moral the, the moral law, second table uh, morality, they did, they did okay. Um, but scripture, uh, yeah, reiterates and, and states that, clarifies it. Um, one thing that, for example, Calvin mentioned, he said, yeah, that pagans were generally good at, at kind of second table duties. One thing they didn't get right was duty to the magistrate. They, they said, rebel, rebel, rebel all the time. And he said that that was just part of their own kind of lust for power or something like that. And uh, scripture clarifies you shouldn't do that. So there were some things, but they actually, it wasn't this general, oh, they messed up everything. Um, uh, but anyway, to go back to the, the, the principle, that, that is that, that the moral law of scripture and natural law are same in substance, but, but delivered differently, different, differently in different mode. So I think that's really and, helpful. Oh, so the, yeah, no, so go ahead. I'd say the last one, if anyone's kind of familiar with this conversation, actually, in my experience, what they would say is, uh, well, I'm not radical two kingdoms or anyone who's talking about two kingdoms are radical yeah. two kingdoms. Can you, can you distinguish this, the kind of two kingdoms you're talking about and this, uh, what gets called radical two kingdoms right by uh, theologians yeah. like John Frame and you know others. Yeah, think, thanks for bringing that up. So, how do I how do I approach this one? All right, so there is a school of thought. Uh, the the guys who pushed two kingdom theology early on, uh, usually people like Van Drunen and Michael Horton uh, from the Westminster California uh, Seminary in California, they tend to. I think that they are just confused in, in, in what two kingdoms theology, I think, but, but this is what they, they tend to make the, the sharp distinction between church and state. And I, I kind of will state that it's church and state as well. But what they mean though, is that, well, the church is the realm of redemption and the state is the realm of just common natural law externals. And that's it. And what that, what this means for them is that, is that, that you can be a political person, but you can only be, you have to be strictly human. You have to be strictly, um, what they would say, you have to be just natural law. Everything is common. So every law, every policy you, you should advocate for is, should be common and just, um, just entirely human <laughs> uh, and based natural law. And th that would seem to follow from what I've said. So people might be thinking, well, that seems to be. And, and I actually, my, uh, my view is, yeah, the church is the, is the redemptive kingdom and you don't technically redeem civil society. But, but I, I think that what, what, they, what they miss, what one, for one, I mean, that, uh, no one really believed that uh, except for some Baptists like Roger Williams in New England um, and, and some other people as well. But for generally speaking, the people we pick up uh, 
pr prior to to 1800 and all of these theologians they believe they they believe that that two kingdoms did not preclude there being a Christian society, Christian government, Christian magistrate, and explicit uh, laws that you would consider Christian, and, and that's explicitly or exclusively protect the Christian church. Um, and, and why is that? Well, I think that's because even, even though everything I think within the, uh, the civil realm should be based in natural law, that doesn't mean that the principles of natural law can't be applied in a Christian way. So let's say a principle, this might be confusing, but let's say a, a principle of, of, of natural law is that civil government should protect true religion. Okay, that's the principle. That's like the major premise. Civil government ought to protect true religion. And you can justify that by saying, well, there's spiritual good in true religion and the government ought to seek after your, your good. All right, so civil government ought to protect true religion. Well, what's a true religion? So what's the minor premise? Christianity is a true religion. And so you have a natural principle or a proposition, major premise that is natural, okay? Did I just say that? It, it, it's a, that made, it's a natural. So basically, it's based in natural law, but then the minor premise is something supplied by grace. In fact, all it is is just clarifying, or not so clarifying, but it's just stating what's true religion. Well, the conclusion of that syllogism, which would be valid, would be that civil government ought to protect Christ, the Christian religion. Um, and so that's a valid syllogism. And, I, and so, if, of course, if you, every, all Christians would affirm the minor premise. And so the dispute goes back to the major premise. But anyway, it, barring that dispute of whether that the major premise is true or false, uh, it still shows how it's possible that you can base your society on natural law. And yet at the same time, the way it's applied, that natural law applied, is applied in a particular way that actually excludes other uh, yeah, so so you can have a Christian culture, you can have a Christian society, you can have a Christian people, you can have a Christian government, and that's because all of these are applications of natural principles. So culture ought to reflect the true religion. Well, what's true religion? So you can just keep go down down uh, down the line on all these, and uh, and that justifies. So I think that that if you were to say, so my criticism of of the kind of the radical two kingdom idea is that they have they have, they have not they've failed to acknowledge the fact that they are denying these these principles that everyone basically believed uh, so like calvin for example in in his uh, in institutes or I, I mean not even calvin everyone did this they said oh, here, here's what cicero said the government ought to supply protect religion what what did plato say oh uh, religion's essential for this and so they're actually appealing to pagans and and that that assumes then that there's some something common natural in these principles of religion and, and society uh and and i think they they failed to acknowledge even with their own their own system it doesn't preclude it doesn't force you to have non-christian or just purely human politics you know just universe entirely universal um applications of these principles i hope that makes sense <laughs> i think so i don't i don't want to keep you much longer michael do you want to ask any last questions sum up, or sum us up here so yeah bringing it all together steven should the christian be for the city <laughs> or this <city? laughs> Not the country, just the city. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we, we shouldn't. We shouldn't just 
what is it? it shouldn't just bring the gospel to the city, but the, the city brings the gospel to us. That's is that right. what I'm talking about here? Yeah. Should be for the city. Well, yeah, we should be for for the city. Yeah, definitely. And uh, because that's the center, I know you're kind of asking that in joke, but just, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a place where uh, it's a place where we live as a, as a civil community um, and should be organized for, uh, for all, all, all the good, all the goods, spiritual and civil. Uh, and so Christians should act for, for those goods. Yeah. Well, Stephen, it's been really great uh, having you on. Uh, we just thank yeah, you thank for you. the time. Stephen, uh, they can follow you on Twitter. Uh, I don't know how to say your Twitter name, though. Um, do you? <laughs> no, no, it was a <laughs> random thought. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, it's uh, per- Perf and Just, P-E-R-F-I-N-J-U-S-T, Perf and Just. That's, uh, and, anyway, if, if you know what that's from, I'll, I'll you know get, you get a million cool points. Yeah, I'll uh, <laughs> I'll make sure um, we link to both of those things in in the show. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming on, Stephen, and yes. we hope we'll get you back. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks, Stephen, for coming on the show and talking with us about two kingdoms. Everybody, get ready for next week when we talk back to you. We're doing our feedback show, and also, hey Nick, let me know if I fix the audio.